plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast. Did you know that you can bring ideas from Mind Valley into your business? If you go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhumans, you can discover Mind Valley's business offerings so you can bring personal and professional growth to the entire company. If you are the owner of a company, you know that if you invest in your employees' engagement, happiness, and learning, it'll help the bottom line and impact the business positively. And if you wish your company was bringing these kinds of products from Mind Valley Quests, Mind Valley Mentoring, and all the learnings to be a complete high performance individual in every area of your life, then you definitely want to go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhumans to see how we can get started with working with you. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Campbell, and welcome back to Superhumans at Work. The guest that I bring today is absolutely fascinating of a CEO of an organization you may or may not have heard of, but what I particularly love about this gentleman is the way that he runs his organization is something I had rarely seen in the workplace. He embodies some of the principles that are about freedom, that are about democracy, and he's one of the executives that won in Madison in Business Magazine, Executive of the Year. Wyden is a marketing technology company, and Matthew has been a fast-rising employee who is now the CEO of this company. I love that when I was doing research on this man, one of the first things that came up is every way that he highlights his team as the highly intelligent, playful, and self-starting Wideneers, which we'll talk a bit more within this interview. He's reshaped his own role for CEO to get this chief eudaimonia officer. And we're going to dig into what does eudaimonia mean. And now, what we're going to really engage here is just understanding what are the ways that he operates this business differently. What's the story of this organization, which has had to make a major pivot in its business model in the recent years, and by doing so, has helped actually Matt be a chief at navigating through change. And as we are all going through the COVID-19 crisis, I'm very curious to ask him more stories about how he's been able to get his organization to adapt in these times as we shift to remote and so many things are changing in the world. And so, Matt, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me on, Jason. I look forward to the conversation. Now, Matthew, we've had a few conversations in the past. I always love to have these conversations. You're a very grounded CEO, and I'd love to kind of give a background as to what is Wyden, what was your role in rising as a CEO, and a bit of your background so people get to know. Yeah, I was born and raised in Northeast Wisconsin. I had loving parents and three sisters, and Basically, I learned business from my dad and I learned how to volunteer from my mom because that was what was present to me. And I also had the privilege of learning what it was like to be in a household with three sisters. And that was, that was quite a learning experience as well. So, but yeah, family was hugely influential for me growing up. And then I yeah, went to college and then came into the workforce and enjoyed work very much, a variety of work and just grew up with the work ethic of wanting to do better, wanting to contribute, wanting to do more, wanting to learn, wanting to challenge status quo. And that got me to widen. And the industry that I was mostly familiar with was the printing industry. So that was the industry that I grew up in. I was very blessed to see a lot of change in the printing industry before starting at Widen. But I started at Widen in 2000. So I've been at Widen for 20 years. And I started in the role as a print sales rep. That's because they had printing presses. I had a printing 
background. They needed to increase the volume of sales that they had. And so that's what I was hired for. And so that journey started in a sales capacity. It went into marketing. And then I saw some great opportunities to transform the organization because of all the talent and technology that we had. And and I took that opportunity to tell the, the CEO at the time that I wanted his job. And he was gracious enough to help me take it over. And so that was in 2009. So I've been the CEO now for about 11 years. And this is what's fascinating is that you really rose within that organization. You even asked the CEO if you could take his job, which is there's no takeover. It seems like it was done very democratically and you had very strong purpose. And wide enough today is not as much within the printing organization. The way I see it right now is that it's a marketing technology company. How do you navigate the change for a printing company to become then a marketing technology company? This seems like a small, and I'm, I'm being sarcastic here, but that's, that's a pretty big transition. Yeah. The fascinating thing about Wyden is we've been around since 1948. And so going from plate engraving into pre-press into software, they're all adjacent. And so when I started in printing, printing was only about a decade long stint for Wyden at the time. They were mostly known as in the pre-press space, helping to bring catalogs to market through preparing the files that the printers use, helping to do color retouching and image editing. And so those were the things that the organization was mostly known for at the time. And then the technology teams at Wyden were assembling a way to better manage all of that stuff when digital came around in the 90s. And so the great technologists that Wyden had in the 90s created the image database that was used to manage all of the digital content that was being created as a prepress function. And so it took a while to reposition, well, what should we go to market with first? How should we present ourselves to the world? Because there was just the strong desire to hang on to legacy services and legacy revenue and to make a transition was challenging internally. But there was also downturns in markets that assisted things, whereby you look at the downturn in printing over the years. And my experience is very relevant here because I was with a printing company that went out of business. I got to see what it was like. I got to be in the room to listen to the CEO say, that is it. The doors are closed. We cannot function anymore. And so that spoke volumes to me. And so as you're in an organization who has this great technology that they've built, but it's just getting started... And then you've got this legacy business. How do you make that transition? And the risk for me was really, well, I know what happens if we stay the course. If we stay the course, we're not going to be around much longer. But if we pivot, there's all kinds of new opportunity that we create. And so the decision to just double down in that direction was the one that we made at the time. And it, it has created incredible opportunity for us. And I'm just grateful for the Wyden family, to which I'm not a part of the Wyden family. I'm the first non-family CEO. But the Wyden family is the one that has this incredible innovation spirit, innovation desire. So they're the ones that continue to invest. And they're the ones that created this, the opportunity for this technology to come into existence by bringing the people in, the right people at the right time. And then I just get a chance to move a few pieces around and away we go. And here we are, you know, in 2020 and we serve... 660 of the most influential brands in the world. We help them organize all of their digital chaos and we make it nice and neat so their images, their videos, all their other branded content can be easily found and distributed wherever it needs to go. That's fascinating, Matthew. And I want to pick at something that I'm picking up here because 
What I notice is that, you know, you witnessed the other organization actually falter. And this obviously has created an impression that made you very motivated to make a shift into a new direction. I'd say now more than ever is one of the times where a lot of organizations need to rethink what are the things that are going to work now and things that are going to work in the future. I'd love to maybe see, have you distilled what is the essence that makes a CEO be aware of these trends without being emotionally attached to the way things have always been. It seems like it needs a bit of courage here. And like there's certain companies like the previous one that weren't able to adapt. And so what is that essence? Is it an innovation blood? Is it a team? Is it coming with strong direction as a CEO? What have you witnessed? There's just a desire to continuously change that I think is inherent in it, which is, I guess I kind of get bored with the now I get bored with the way things are working. And I, greatly respect people who can lock in and focus in certain areas and then repeat those areas and keep performing at high levels in those areas. I like to observe that, but then I also, I like to set up a new game over here and then I like to set up another game over here. And then uh, I guess distraction is maybe a, a good thing in this case. And just a somewhat of an insatiable curiosity for what's next, because I already know that things are changing all the time. And if you don't change with them, then your destination is not really a destination. You won't get there. There is an end to that. And so if you always think about what's next and remain curious about how to get there and then leverage the incredible talents of the people that are around you, yeah, you're going to pivot and you're going to move and you're going you're to do lots of different things and a lot of things won't work and some things are great learning moments. <laughs> I know that you're part of World Blue Organization. You're certified as a World Democratic Office. And I know this is something Mind Valley also is quite proud of. And what I've noticed is as an employee, how my CEO, our founder, Vishen Lakiani, he's also someone that loves challenging the status quo and creates a lot of opportunities that we can change, we can innovate and kind of creatively redestroy and recreate areas. So that always makes us make sure that we're always on the edge of innovation and we're ready to move very nimbly. And as an employee, sometimes I'm not always all on board. I sometimes resist that change. It seems like I have a natural bias to resistance that I continuously overcome. Is this something you notice within the employees that you lead, that there's just always like an inertia bias? And how do you continuously make them overcome that and feel enthusiastic about change as much as you are? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a great observation. Yes, a great personal experience as well, which is how do, you, how do you bring a whole team along with you? And some people don't want to go along with, some people are, are not there for the long haul. Like, that's fine too. That's great. We just, we need your best for however long you want to give your best. And when it's not your cup of tea, then great, you'll find something else. And then for the people that want to stay, it's communication is a, key element, especially now, is as we navigate the changes that are happening as a result of a pandemic. And so just the continuous communication, keeping people in the loop on things, inviting them to ask questions. And so we do weekly stand-up meetings with 160 people. I give a 10-minute update every Monday morning at 10.50 Central Time, try to keep people abreast of what's going on. We do quarterly town hall meetings, let people ask questions in advance. With the current times, since things are changing incredibly fast, we assembled a widened COVID-19 response team a while ago, and we publish three times a week information pieces to the whole organization. We get together twice a week to discuss what's happening. And so the amount of information that flows is intended to allow people to digest it as it's happening. And so if they can digest the information as it's happening, there's not like a sudden get hit by a truck and it's, oh my goodness, what is happening? It's a 
oh, I, I see this. I remember this being published here. I remember Matthew talking about this, or I remember so-and-so mentioning it. And so it's, while it's sometimes it is, yes, difficult, it's at least the communication is out in front of it. We're sharing it early. Mm, I guess that prepares us emotionally to kind of deal when the change does happen. So any trend you notice, if you over-communicate, I guess it's easier to get the people that are ready to go along to actually jump on the bandwagon and make that pivot happen. But I also love the fact that you mentioned that sometimes people are just not wanting to make that transition with you, and that's perfectly okay too. I wanted to switch over and to kind of define this term that I said in the introduction that most people might have raised an eyebrow about, chief eudaimonia officer. I wanted to dig into more like, what does that mean? And why did you decide to use that as opposed to an executive officer? Yeah, yeah, the good question. So eudaimonia was introduced to me in 2007. A gentleman, Dr. Andrew Burns, who is in the psychology school for a Wisconsin institution, he introduced this term to me in the context of business. And I thought, well, that's, that's really neat. How would I apply that to my business? How would I apply that to leadership? And so I ran with it from that point because what he helped me understand is it's a term that's been around for 2,500 years. Aristotle had used this term to talk about human flourishing. And so what does human flourishing look like at work? Eudaimonia is often translated into to happiness. I think it's deeper than that. It's not exclusive to happiness because human flourishing involves struggle. It involves navigating the challenges of the time and coming out on the other side better than when you entered into it. And so there's a flourishing element that's not just happiness all the time. It is absolutely about the struggle. And so I gravitated to it. And then I thought, you know what? What we really needed as a leadership model was less about the we're here to maximize profits and more about the, we're here to continue to foster human development. And so I don't want to walk away from the maximize profitability. Profitability is a very important element of business, but at the same time, you have to juggle that with the integral human development that is necessary for the human person. And so how do we do that? And that's why the term eudaimonia was something that I thought, you know what, I'm just going to throw that into my title because that's what I stand for. I stand for human development. I stand for human flourishing. I want to make sure that that is a focal point within our organization because that contributes to better products, better process, better innovation, which creates an incredible customer experience, which results in greater financials, which then can get plowed back into the organizational structure to develop people to create more products, to do better on the innovation side, to create more customers, to run more financials, to keep this cycle flowing. And so that is why I love that term. That is why I adopted it. And I continue to dig into it. I mean, it's been around for 2,500 years and I just keep trying to work with this thing and pull it apart. And what does it mean and how can I apply it? And it's, it's, it's fun. Wow. I love it. This element of human flourishing, but I also like it that actually for an organization is also seeking to flourish. So it actually takes into account the profitability of the company as well, which actually brings me to the point that I feel right now when we get into these times of crisis, it seems like today it's easier than ever to actually neglect the flourishing of your employees as you fight for survival, especially if your company's been very affected by this shutdown around the world. And I was going to ask, how do you stay 
focused on the flourishing, knowing that that's what brings long-term growth for the company, when sometimes you're looking at these short-term impacts and it feels like you step back into a place of fear and you need to just defend revenue streams and profit streams. And it seems like this is the time where you actually stop doing what works and you're just start doing what's working now. And is this okay? Or do you need to step back into it? Like how have you navigated it and what have you witnessed? Yeah. In some cases, people are in a fight for survival. And so I don't question those fights for survival. They're trying to make ends meet. They're trying to put food on their table. They are trying to figure this thing out. My experience with working at an organization that went on a business was incredibly profound for me, especially in these moments whereby if you, if you can't afford to keep your payroll, then what are you going to do? Like you've almost converted to a short-term game. And while that's not advantageous, you really are left with no other choice. You, you have to fight in that moment for survival. Now we're in an industry that doesn't have that kind of short-term mode. We do have to be very good stewards of the capital that we're working with. However, there's certain storms that you can ride out. It's also how have you managed your company prior to this too, which matters. I mean, have you loaded up on all kinds of debt to try to fund certain things? And now you get to this point and it's like, oh my goodness, I, I wish I wouldn't have done that. What was right at the time is now pretty sizable challenge to work with today. And so you might have put yourself unknowingly in a very uncomfortable state right now. But also, how have you treated your employees historically now comes back. And if you do pull back on that employee development, which is an easy line item to pull back on. And I can tell you because we just pulled back on some of these things at Widen. And so I look across what's happening and I say, well, we should dial this thing back. But it's not like it's completely gone. There are still opportunities for people to develop because internally we have that dialogue. Internally, we have training sessions that are taking place. So we're continuing to feed the development of our teams just in a more cost-effective way. Mm, that's beautiful. I really like the aspect that you talk about how for the companies to be prepared for times like these, it's not about how you react to the times like now. It's how have you been doing it all the times before. And it seems like now this is a great magnifier of whatever good or bad behaviors that were happening before. Now it's just, I don't want to use the word manifestation, but instant realization of any good or bad habits is brought to the grindstone right now. And this is going to be the ultimate test. And I don't mean to say that if you haven't done the work on helping your employees flourish means that there's no chance, but there must be some quick things or essential things that a CEO should be doing at a times like this that could help them navigate regardless of their prior experience or their prior investment into the flourishing of their employees. And I wanted to kind of pivot towards that and see what is it that you should be really aware of as a CEO or as an employee during these times that you've noticed brings you back into a place of operating from freedom and even from a place of love as opposed to falling into the fear spiral that seems to be on everybody's mind around the world. Are there certain practices you can do within the company, within yourself? I would go back to the communication thread. I think what CEOs need to do now is they need to own the corporate communications and that lessens the fear. You can't completely drive the fear out of the organization. That's, that's not going to happen. There's so much negativity. There's so much information being published. You just can't avoid that. But what you can provide is certainty in the cadence of communication. You can provide certainty in exactly what you're sharing with everyone. And that, that does lessen the fear. You can communicate openly what you're pursuing in terms of the CARES Act that was passed in the United States and, and how we're pursuing those things. You can communicate how you're monitoring customer behavior. 
And what we've been doing an exceptional job at is elevating the recognition systems by bringing out these incredible stories, not only that our, how our customers are using our, our software and recognizing them for their incredible usage during this time, but also recognizing the employees and saying, you know, kudos to someone on our team, Julia, as an example, who created this quarantine life channel on our Slack application. So it's a great place to kind of get the humor element of things. And we have a kudos board at Wyden at our Madison location. And this is a physical kudos board. It's got write a kudos to somebody with marker on a postcard and then clip it to a thing in our lobby. But what Julia did is she converted that to a virtual kudos board so that we could continue to recognize each other. Employees like Julia, those stories are awesome. And and those are the things that we need to elevate. Those are the things we need to shine a light on and say, look at how awesome people are. Look at all the incredible people that we get to work with who are coming up with all these great creative ideas. Yes, it's challenging, but you know, we can have fun with it. We can still carry on the recognition structure that we have with the kudos board. And by the way, in the kudos environment, when we get 50 kudos, we always buy lunch for the whole company. And so in this case, since we're now remote, other people stepped up and figured out, well, how are we going to buy lunch for the whole company when everybody's working from home? And so we decided, well, we can still do this. And in fact, we're going to buy lunch for everybody in the family. So everybody in your household. And so when we get to 50 kudos, now they've set up accounts with various providers and we'll be able to order lunch in for everyone in the family when we get to 50 kudos, which is recognizing each other. Wow. I love how you focus here on both recognition and over-communicating. And I think especially as a CEO, these are the times that you have to beat the drum on vision and get people back into the state of a long-term. I look at a lot of the behaviors that I'm seeing around. It's just, we're all looking at what is happening next. We're waiting for the news and we're just clinging on to the news as something that's going to maybe save us when really what it is, is actually getting us back into the long-term mode, seeing how this shall pass. And I feel like what you're doing is a great job at making sure that people are being navigated towards what is the long-term vision? How do we adapt? How do we continue the praise? How do we continue the community? We've been doing a lot of this as well at Mind Valley. We created these environments, which we call water cooler time. So it's a time in the day where people just go on the Slack or goes on the webinar and just start interacting so we can continue to foster that sense of community within the organization. Matthew, it's so much fun to get a chance to talk with you and see how you are operating. And I think there's a lot of essence for people to take on here. So if you were paying close attention, there's a lot of things around here, which is around being able to constantly challenge the status quo. As a CEO and as an organization, being able to drive innovation makes you adaptable, especially in times of change, so you can quickly pivot. And the key here is making sure you over-communicate with your teams so that they're ready to make that change as well. And know that it doesn't mean that everybody's going to be following along. There's some that might be looking to move on, and that's okay. Work with the people that are really wanting to go along with you and get them prepared by over-communicating the directions as why you're going and why it's so important for us to make these kinds of changes. I also love how over-communication has been a central theme here to get people to be prepared about how do you actually navigate this crisis? How do you get them to think more long-term? How do you create these environments where there's more recognition, more focus on, on freedom and on love as opposed to getting people into the fear state? And then I love also how eudaimonia, a key word that talks about human flourishing and your responsibility as a leader within your organization to keep beating the drum and doing what you can, even if there's times where you're cutting back on investments within big programs that are supposed to nurture the employees. A lot of times it's just about the ways that you're having communications, the ways that you're beating the drum on helping 
helping everybody be their best version to allow them to flourish in the process. We're going through some very interesting times with the COVID-19. A lot of people are working from home. But if you're able to navigate these changes by focusing on the flourishing, getting people okay with the adaptation to change and over communicating how you can continue to show gratitude, beat on the vision, get people to think longer term, you'll come out on the other side making some great changes possibly in your organization and still flourish yourself within it. Matthew, thank you so much for coming here and sharing all these amazing insights. I'm wishing all the best throughout these times. Stay healthy. I know Wyden is going to be coming out very strong with a leader like you at the front. Thank you, Jason. I'm very grateful to work with incredible people and thank you for the time together. Take care, everybody. Thanks for listening. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.